It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 707 and 76 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to help you be more successful in your landscape. And one of the things that you can be most successful at doing is growing hydrangeas, a plant that is supremely adapted to growing in the metro Atlanta area in the southeast. A lot of people have success with hydrangeas, but those who just started growing hydrangeas sometimes have questions about, well, how, how do you prune these things? Well, that's the right way to prune hydrangeas. And if you're like me, sometimes hydrangeas are in places where if they get a little bit too big, they'll, they'll hide stuff. And in my case, they'll hide the front of the house. Or they'll hide the windows in front of my house if they get a little bit tall. And so I need to prune them every year, but I don't want to mess up the blooming. And some people know that there's some, some rules that you have to follow when you're pruning the, the big leaf hydrangea, the pink and the blue hydrangea. You don't prune them in the wintertime because they make their buds, the flowering buds, are made during August, September, October, the previous year. So if you prune during the wintertime, you're taking off the buds, you won't have any flowers. You have lots of nice leaves, but not any flowers. So when do you prune them? You prune them right after July 4th. So this is the weekend, next weekend. As long as you get it done by, I don't know, the first week or so in August, you're fine. But here's what I do. My hydrangeas, they're big. They're, ooh, let me put them off body. They're at least four and a half feet tall, almost five feet tall. And that is too big when they're blooming right now. If I left them where they are and did not prune them right now, they would be five and a half to almost six feet tall next year, way over my windows. I don't want that. And so what I did the other day was to go out with my pruners, and I used hedge trimmers a little bit and hand pruners a little bit to clean up, but I reduced the size of these hydrangea shrubs from about four and a half to five feet down to about two and a half to maybe three feet. Because what I'm doing is allowing a little bit of growth the next year, and they will make new growth between now and the end of the fall, putting on their flower buds. But I also want to have a little bit of new, you know, vigorous leaf, vigorous growth on them. And so I want to give them a little bit of space. So that's why they go down to about two and a half to three feet tall right now. Where I try to make my cuts is right above where two leaves join each other on the stem. And if you look at any hydrangea, you'll see what I mean. The leaves come opposite each other on the stem and take my pruners and I make my cut right above where the two leaves come together. And if you look real closely, right where the leaves come together on the stem, they're little buds. Those are the buds we want to have for next year because those are the ones that will make the long sprouts between now and October. And on the end of those sprouts will be the flower buds that will make the flowers for next year. So I make my cut right above two leaves, and if I have a choice sometimes between the younger and the older stems or the flowering stems, the ones that had flowers on them this year and the ones that did not yet have flowers on them this year but still need to be shortened, I'll take away the older ones. The stems that have flowers on them this year are less likely to have flowers next year. They're not quite as vigorous. They're older, and they don't have quite the vigor in them. And so those are the ones that I'll shorten maybe a little bit further. If I have a choice between two stems, both of them, let's say, four feet tall, one is really green from tip down to bottom, and the other is green for a few feet at the top and then brown all the way down to the bottom, 
The one that's brown at the bottom is the older one, the one that had the flower on it. That's the older one, and that's the one I'll shorten down to about a foot and a half to two feet. The one that's green, top to bottom, that's the one I'll shorten down to about two and a half to three feet, because that's the one that'll give me more flowers next year. This is not rocket science, and frankly, it makes your arm tired to go out <laughs> and prune all those limbs out, but it results in a really nice-looking shrub. It looked a little rough for the week or so after I do the pruning. It looks pretty rough today, but in the next couple of days, the buds will start sprouting. You'll have new foliage will come on them, and over the next couple of weeks, everything will look nice, and then certainly the uh, leaves will fall off in the wintertime, but then next spring and summer, I'll have pretty hydrangea flowers again just by taking a little bit of attention to pruning right now. I so, have a question. Ashley Frasca, you have a question. What is your I question? I do. It's not rocket science, but I've always <laughs> been intimidated by the old wood, new yeah, wood thing. Yeah. Can you explain that again? How, like, what blooms on old wood? Some shrubs bloom on flowers that started the previous year. That's old wood. The old wood is a, is, a, is a stem that grew the previous year and doesn't flower until the year the spring, usually, after that. And so that includes um, white azaleas and forsythia and hydrangeas and all the things that bloom in the spring and early, early summer. They bloom on old wood. And then the things that bloom on new wood would be, let's see, gardenia and what else during the middle of the summertime? Lorapetalum. Well, lorapetalum actually do both ways. Um, what else would be another couple of things? Uh, spirea, not spirea, maybe the Japanese spirea. A couple more things bloom on new wood, wood that comes in the spring. Oh, the, the panicle hydrangea, the one I was talking about earlier, the panicle hydrangea and the uh, 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 pink lemonade and some of those hydrangeas can be pruned to the ground. Annabelle hydrangea, prune them to the ground in the wintertime because they all bloom on new wood, wood that is produced from uh, March until about April or May. So then on, on a mop head hydrangea yeah. with the old wood, That's I mean, wood. do you leave those wooden stalks just kind of sticking out of the ground because are they going to produce an alternating years? Uh, what I try to do is to take the oldest of the stalks, the brownest of the stalks, and they get shortened pretty severely down to about a foot tall. And then I look for the green ones that are nice and green and vibrant and vigorous, and they're the ones that I don't shorten by a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. I want some pictures of your hydrangeas next year. I'll prune them today. All right. We'll get that done. Right now, again, the right time to prune hydrangeas. Let's go to the phones. we got lots of questions going up this morning. And Margaret in Atlanta is first in line. Margaret, hey, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How can I help? Listen, I didn't call about hydrangeas, but I trimmed mine the first of this week. You did perfectly. That's exactly right. But I think I need to trim a little further from what you're saying. You I'm, need to give them at least uh, a yeah. foot, a foot and a half maybe of growth is what they'll put on between now and yeah. October. So, okay. you know, you make your decisions, Margaret. Okay. But I call about my knockout roses. They're not blooming. Uh, they mm. bloom the spring of the year, yeah. you know, earlier. But right now I have a, a blossom on on my uh, bush. Mm, this is sort of the rest time for them. They, In my experience, knockouts will bloom, Margaret, two, maybe three times a year. Once okay. in the early time, years have already done that. They do that in early May, usually, to, to the first week of June, perhaps. And then they rest for three or four weeks, and then they bloom again sometime in mid to late July, and then they rest, and they bloom again 
in usually late October, that last little thing. So the thing, the way that you encourage the repeated blooming, the three blooms during the summertime, is make sure you feed them regularly. That's okay. the biggest thing that a <clears throat> that a rose needs is lots of leaf surface uh, on the plant, so that the leaves, of course, as you know, the leaves feed the plant, the leaves make the buds form, the leaves then help to make the flowers happen. Okay. So if you haven't fed it in a while, Margaret, that's okay. your job today. Well, I will. I'll get out there and do that yeah. today. Water it in. Make sure you put the fertilizer around it. Water it in good so the roots can absorb it. And what you'll see in about a week and a half maybe is lots of new growth at the ends of the branches. And that new growth, give it another three to four weeks. That'll be where your flowers will be. Okay. Appreciate it. All right. Okay. Thank you. Nothing to it. Thanks for calling, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Fifteen minutes past the hour. And that gives Jack up and done with his turn. Jack, good morning and welcome to Lawn and Garden. Chipmunks, Walter. How do I get rid of them? They're tearing my yard up. And get rid of you can take you can get rid of that word or that phrase, Jack, because you're never going to get rid of chipmunks. All right. Um, you're going to manage them, and management for me includes little vacations that I give all my chipmunks to a nearby public park where I trap them. I have a live trap. And I capture them and check my traps regularly during the day to make sure they never stay in for more than a few hours. And then I take them away and release them. And strictly okay. speaking, that's not legal, but strictly speaking, I got tomatoes that I need to eat, and the chipmunks can find something else in the park. So, well, I mean, they're, they're digging holes all around my home. Yeah. If you feel like they're a nuisance, then I don't think there's anybody in the world that would object to you live trapping and uh, relocating. Okay. That's that's what I do. There's not any repellents. If you're looking for something that you can spray well, jack. I hate, you know. I hate killing them, but I mean, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but live trapping is fine. You get a little uh, live trap from the hardware store and bait it with, usually sunflower seeds works pretty well, and uh, put it in there. Usually I get my first capture around 8 a.m., I guess, in the morning is when I usually uh, get the capture because I'm out there around 8.30 or 9, just walking around in the backyard. And, and I always tomatoes, tomatoes work good. Say again? Tomatoes work good. I, you know, I've never used tomato as a bait. It's always been a sunflower <laughs> seed in there. I All think right, sunflower seed works better. Thank you. You bet, Jack. Thanks for calling. It's seven seventeen, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Mother Nature is turning on the blast furnace this morning. Oh, man, it's going to be hot this afternoon. Mid-90s this afternoon, partly cloudy skies, 30% chance of an isolated shower. And again, prayers for it to come to me and... Well, to you, too. If you need a shower, we'll get you a shower over there as well, but only a 30% chance. Overnight, same conditions and lows going down into the mid-70s. Right now it's 76 degrees outside. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Jeannie in Gainesville up in Hall County joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jeannie, good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Um, I'm updating my 1995 landscaping this fall there are two great big original magnolias out by the curb one of which is blocking the new brilliant light of a halogen street light ow okay 
I know. And but the people we bought the house from, sometime in its history, they raised the um, they cut the lower limbs off of the magnolias. Mm. So about four to five feet under the magnolias is bare. Sure. So all of the leaves and all of the debris from the magnolia is on the lawn and blowing all over the lawn. My goal to in um, redoing redoing the landscaping is to get rid of a lot of grass. I have a lot of space. It's too bright. It's too sunny. I need more shade and whatever. So, so I was wondering, what's so the question? I, Let's get I, to that because I only have a couple of minutes here. So what's okay, the I don't really question? want to take out the magnolias, but I was wondering if there was some group evergreen planting something mm-hmm. that I could put under there that would mask the debris. There's a lot of debris underneath there. You know this, Jeannie. When those leaves fall down, they cover cover everything that has any kind of uh, weakness to the stems. I, I, I said something in my newspaper article this past Thursday that I thought, I'm going to get criticism for this. But I said in my newspaper article Thursday, there are situations where English ivy is the only plant I can think of that would work in certain situations. On a real steep slope in the shade, there's hardly anything that'll do better than English ivy at holding the soil back. Under hmm. a magnolia tree, English ivy will grow, and it is the only plant that'll grow underneath there and can withstand all those leaves falling down. And if you mow it with your mower set real high once a year, perhaps in the spring, I think it looks fine underneath, and I wouldn't try to plant anything else. Azaleas and ferns and hosta and all these other shade-loving plants are going to get smothered by the magnolia leaves. Okay. If I pull the magnolias out, is there something I can put in that's fast-growing that's kind of that shape? Who's going to shield that big LED light from shining in your eyes in your house, though? I know, I'm going to have to live with it. There aren't any bedrooms at the front of the house, so it's not, you know. You know, there are a lot of fast-growing trees, certainly, and I don't have time to go over all dozen probably choices, but there are plenty of of fast-growing trees. The maple certainly is one to immediately consider. And there's some evergreens, you might think. I don't recommend Leland Cypress. Don't let anybody persuade you into that. If you go to my website, just WalterReese.com, and type in plant lists or look under landscaping and pull down the menu for plant lists, it gives you a whole bunch of screening choices and gives you some ideas that you can choose from there. That's what I would do. Okay. In parting, I would like to say that I tossed some some, uh, mothballs in a soffit Uh hole, Uh get rid of the squirrels, and that was recommended by the pest control people. Right. And about an hour later, all of the mothballs were on the ground. Squirrels are not dumb. They know they're dangerous, so they pitch them out. <laughs> get those mothballs out of here, the squirrel said. Jeannie, get them out of here. We don't like these. They smell bad. Well, we got to go, but thanks for calling, Jeannie. It's 728. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. She can wait in the drop of dew. She don't come and I don't follow. Waste backstage while I sing to you. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 736 and 76 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. 
I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I'm here to help you be more successful. Whatever you define success as being, I can help you achieve it, whether it's one less weed, one more flower, one better-looking lawn, or one lawn just you need an excuse to just let it go. I can help you achieve that success. All you have to do is call 404-872-0750 or talk for a minute to Ashley Frasca, our call screener, just to get our act together about what you want to talk about, and then you'll be on the air with me. And speaking of Ashley Frasca, one of the things that Ashley brings in every week is a weed that she has found in her lawn that we need to talk about. What'd and you there find? are plenty. There are Sometimes plenty in mine, too. The No Gardener is completely weed-free. So what did you find this week? It was really interesting. It's actually kind of a pretty little weed. It was it grew up kind of tall and stemmy and had these really pretty almost clover-like green leaves. Uh. And uh, it was just really easy to pull, of course, and it's just growing kind of in the dirt in a garden bed. But um, with your help and identifying like the veins and the leaves and things like that and the way the clusters grew together, Black Medic. Black Medic. The tree, was it yellow trefoils? That's uh-huh. the other name that, for that it? That as yeah. well, yeah. Okay. Black Medic. Yeah, it's a pretty common weed. And like you said, it's easy to, easy to pull. Easy to pull. And most often, I think you could... Pull it is probably the best way to control it uh, because it is so easy. Or if you just had to spray with a little bit of weed killer or something like that, you could do that too. Well, in the picture I posted online, it's not flowering, so it's just green and the stem's green. But once it flowers with these little, almost ball-like yellow flowers, Uh it's very easy to spot if it's coming up in grass. That makes it really easy to see. Got it. So folks can go to wsbradio.com. And then if you type Weed of the Week in the search bar, it's the first thing that pops up, and then you can kind of take yourselves through the uh, the rest of the photo album. Oh, and we see got the galleries. Galleries of weeds in there. Sure, sure, sure. A ton sure. of weeds. We've or- I think we've done like 17. Nice. Yeah. Which is only about, uh, oh, a tenth of what you have. <laughs> we have what a few I have years, right? Yeah, okay. We got, we got a job. Pretty Job security is assured for us. It was just about weeds in our landscape. Sure enough. So again, Walter Re- not WalterReeds.com, WSBRadio.com, and just type in Weed of the Week in the search line. It'll take you to our gallery of, of weed pictures that we have there. Again, our phone number is 404-872-0750. Michael is in Woodstock, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Michael, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Um, I have a situation. I have a new house, Bermuda grass, and every year there's this one, I'll call it a patch, but it's more of a line. Yeah. And extends from the property line, and it just happens, I believe, that's where the gas line is buried. It's about uh, three to four inches wide, uh-huh. and it's just yellow. Everything else is green around it, but it's almost like somebody took Roundup or something and just sprayed the mm. straight line, and it appears every year. So I'm trying to figure out if it's something reacting to the gas line, the, the pipe, or there's something else going on that I, I, I don't know. It's just driving me crazy. It's probably not reacting to the gas in the pipe. Um, if it were, if there were a leak, in other words, if there were a leak, it would probably be a pinpoint here or there, and you'd see spots, yeah, and you'd smell it most likely too. So I doubt that it's any kind of leak there. What it seems most likely to me is that when the trench was uh, dug, they didn't fill it with topsoil, or at least the top six or seven inches was not topsoil, but was probably some of the heavy clay from way down deep in the trench, and nobody was thinking about this because all they want to do is dig the trench and fill it up and get out of here before Michael comes home. And so that heavy soil makes it hard for the Bermuda roots growing over that 
trench over that line for those roots to penetrate as well as the rest of your lawn, and so it's a little discolored because plants aren't that healthy there. So would I need to dig that area up and put some topsoil in and hopefully it just grows back in? I've got, you know, I've got an idea. I've got an idea of how to do this. What we really want to do is make the soil a little bit looser, a little bit more rich and, and better environment for the Bermuda to grow in. And I think we could do it pretty easily. Maybe not this afternoon, Michael. It is going to be hot, so don't do it today. But in the <laughs> afternoon or morning would be a good time to do this. Get a wheelbarrow, a bag of soil conditioner or you could use potting soil if you want to, but soil conditioner is a little coarser. It works better. And some milorganite. Milorganite is a sewage sludge fertilizer, real slow-release stuff. And you mix about in a wheelbarrow. You get the bag of soil conditioner and about a quart of milorganite and mix them up together real good with hands or a stick or something like that to make a real rich soil. That's what you're doing in the wheelbarrow. And then lay that soil, that stuff in the wheelbarrow, in a line on top of your discolored uh, Bermuda grass in your lawn and get a pitchfork or a stake or a stick or something you can jab in the ground real easily and just jab it in and wiggle so that the rich soil drops into that hole, the holes that you've made in that discolored line. And by loosening the soil, by adding some enriched soil to it, I have a feeling that over the next three or four or five weeks, that Bermuda grass is going to green up and look real happy there. Okay. I'll try. Give it a try. That's what you do. And if anybody else wants to try this, you can do it on grass, certainly, but on shrubs, too. Shrubs that don't look quite their best, you can do what I call this in-ground, in-place rejuvenation. And if you go to my website, just type the word rejuvenate in the search line. It gives you a little more detail about how to do it with shrubbery as well. Michael, thanks for calling. Thanks. We'll see you, man. 42 minutes past the hour, and we've got Mike in his turn. Mike's in Forest Park and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Michael, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. What you got? Well, I got up early and drove down to the State Farmer's Market uh, down in Forest Park to pick up some Silver Queen corn, put in the freezer. And I only find watermelons, cantaloupes, and peaches on the farmer's stalls. There's no corn? Am I too early? Am I too late? Has uh, buying corn changed in the last three years since I was down here? Uh, I'm just a little confused this morning. That is a great question. I can't imagine why there is no corn. My my dad and most gardeners, and certainly the professional growers as well, do what's called succession planting, and they plant new corn seed every two weeks in the spring so that you have a succession of harvest and can supply the farmer's market and the smaller farmer's markets around the city uh, with fresh corn every every week. So why there would not be – did you ask? Did you say, where's the corn? What's going on? I here? asked one gentleman um, if there was anybody out here with corn this morning, and he said no. Um, huh. And, I, you know, they have the permanent stalls, which right. is, for me, like going to the market near my home. Um, you know, I love the fresh-picked farmers brought in corn, mm. but – it's just not here. So, <laughs> I you know I don't have my computer screen in front of me right now to look it up, but somewhere on my website there is a list of all the small farmers markets, and it seems like there's one in Jonesboro today, maybe, but it may not be today. But I think there's one in Jonesboro on the courthouse square or somewhere near downtown Jonesboro. So from Forest Park, 
you could go down to Jonesboro, or there may be one, yeah. for all I know, in Forest Park. But one of the smaller farmer's markets, maybe go there and see if the corn is there. I don't know any other sources to do that. But I do know that there are lots of other certified farm markets that are scattered all over the state, in the cities, in the country as well, that you could go to and hopefully find some corn somewhere, Mike. Well, I guess I'll have to try that. A little disappointed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if not, I'll just have to go home and prune my hydrangeas, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with your hunt, Mike. Thanks All for right. calling. Thanks. Bye. 7.45. Well, that gives a turn in here for Gary Hunt Duluth. Gary, hey, good morning. Welcome to Lawn and Garden. Walter, good morning. I really enjoy your show. Well, I, thank I you. got something uh, that's kind of puzzled me, but planted a, uh, about a four-foot blood good maple out of a container yeah. around three to four weeks ago. And I don't, it seems like everybody I ask tells me to water it differently. Water it twice a day because it's 95 degrees. I know you don't want to do that. Water it every three days. But it was in a container. The, the leaves are kind of turning brown. They aren't curling. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it kind of got burned or something. So, so is it still in the container or is it in the ground? No, it's in the ground. It's okay. in the ground, but Good. it was in a container. Okay. But uh, just wondering if you had any ideas of the watering schedule on that. I know that I'm still successful on the on the place where I've killed two already very expensive dogwoods, but my third dogwood is still alive and doing fine. And the way that I'm watering it, and I planted it, Gary, in early April. That's my guess when I bought it and planted it there where the others had died. And the others died from lack of water. Walter just got overconfident and thought they were okay in the summertime, and Walter was wrong. So the new one that I have, I bought a gator bag, and those are the green things, sort of conical things you see around the trunk of trees sometimes that professionals plant. And Uh that gator bag, you fill it up with five or ten gallons of water every, in my case, every, I don't know, every three days or so. And it trickles water right down at the base of the tree. And that is key, Gary, to plant to watering newly planted trees is the where's the water applied. It should be applied right at the base of the trunk so that the container soil where the roots were growing in the original plastic pot, that's always moist. You don't want to let that dry out. The roots themselves have probably grown half an inch to an inch further than the container over the last couple of weeks since it was planted, but they haven't Mm -hmm. gone very far. So if you have an irrigation system or if you have your hose and you're out there just willy-nilly watering all the ground around it there, that doesn't help anything. The water needs to be applied right at the base of the trunk, and frankly, I would think a couple of gallons every two days would be fine. Five gallons every couple of days even wouldn't be too bad for me, but I would let it dry out a little bit between waterings. So you're thinking maybe every day is a little too much? Every day is a little too much because it gets soggy, and that's not what the tree wants either. <clears throat> but every uh, every three days seems about right for me, and I think it'd be right for you, two to well, five gallons. What's causing the leaves to, to burn a little bit? I've, I've heard also if the leaves are at the base of the tree and it's starting to curl, you're watering it too much. If it's at the top of the tree and it's curling, you aren't watering enough. But Either way, either lack of water or too much water can cause leaves to burn. Too much water causes the roots to shut down. Too little water, of course, they don't have any water to go to the leaves, so it's hard to diagnose without seeing the the picture and the whole situation. But I think by allowing it to to dry out a little bit between soakings, that is what the tree really wants, and put the water where the roots are, which is right at the base, and that's going to be the key to success. I got it. So maybe a good watering every couple days. Every couple days, yeah. And when would you start to pull back from that? Uh, September, October, November, maybe October. Okay, okay. 
All right. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's great talking to you, Gary. Thanks right, for calling. Bye-bye. It's thank 748. You. We'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. It's another hot summer day in Atlanta. Plenty of heat, humidity, afternoon temperatures in the mid-90s. Partly cloudy skies, 30% chance of rain this afternoon. Hopefully it comes to my house and overnight similar temperatures or similar conditions and the temperatures going down to the mid-70s, 76 degrees right now. Maybe 95 at the end of the day or mid-afternoon anyway. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Josh is out in Woodstock and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Josh, good morning. Uh, good morning, Walter. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, man. How can I help? Uh, um, we bought some property uh, in February, and it's uh, it's old wood. You know, they've been there forever. Ain't you know, not much been done to them. Okay. We started uh, doing some clearing, make some pretty woods. You know, kind of out of it. But um, we I found we have these vines, and they are everywhere. Some of them are as big, seriously, like half as big as your wrist. They mm. have fruit. I thought they were a, a type of muscadine, maybe sure. or something of some kind. They've got, and I, you know, told my wife, I said, let's don't, you know, let's don't whack on these. Let's leave these alone and see what, you know, see what happens. Well, sure enough, they had, uh, you know, berries uh, popped up, and they, for all practical purposes, it looks like muscadine, but so, they did not. They didn't get any bigger than maybe half the size of an English pea. Mm, fox grape, same thing. I mean, not the same thing as muscadine, but they're a wild grape, and fox grapes are very common outdoors in woods, like you say, that haven't been tended for a while. And so so that's what you have. It's a wild grape. Some people call them fox grapes. They're not muscadines, okay. um, but they're pretty close kin. Pretty close I, kin. I mean, do you eat them? Can you make them get bigger? Do you, I mean, is it something? <laughs> you can eat them, but the the raccoons and the possums and creatures yeah. of the night are going to eat them before you get there, more than likely before they well, ripen. And okay. so most people are not considered cultivatable because the fruit just doesn't get very big. It's not really they worth don't. worth trying okay. to grow. Well, I was hoping because there there's I mean there are thousands. I mean that place is just just there's curtains of them. In yeah. There. And you're going to have them for the next few years because the seeds stay viable in the ground for at least three, maybe five years. And oh, so they'll continue to sprout. You'll have these little sprouts of grapes that will come up all over the place for the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. And you just keep mowing or spraying with herbicide or do whatever you think is appropriate to control them. But eventually all the seeds will get germinated out of the soil and mm-hmm. you can finally sort of breathe a sigh of relief. Well, it was my hopes that that we it was muscadines and we could just send them back and they'd get healthy maybe and not yeah. i figured maybe they were overgrown and you know they weren't making or something you know like yeah the, even to. wild muscadines i probably josh would have said ah, it's not worth your while to do that because they get bigger yeah sure they get about the size of the end of your thumb but right. even the wild muscadines underneath trees really don't develop to a size that's much worth uh monkeying with, with. And again, it's the kind of thing that the possums and the raccoons will sure. eat before you get there anyway. So okay. many times, it's just not worth your trouble. Okay, well, that's that's that then. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Josh.
Yes, Certainly wild grapes everywhere. I could have one over another particular corner of my yard that I don't get into a whole lot. And I saw a little grapevine that's going over the shrub there. And I thought, oh, man, I need to get in there and pull it out. And I do pull it out because if you don't pull them, then they re-sprout from the roots very readily. It'll be back in then three months. I'll see it again. So I need to get in there and pull it out and get into the shrubbery and get poked by the leaves and poked by the stems and pull that grape out of there. Well, it is 7.57 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news.